There's a great line from that song that said something to the effect that I've been running from you, but you've always been here. I think that's really often the stories of our lives when it comes to God, that, uh, that we have this sense that maybe God is very, very far from us, but in reality, he's been there all along. It's just a matter of are we paying attention? How is he trying to get our attention? And so we're continuing with our series, Jonah. This is part two, and tonight's message is titled, A Second Chance to Make a First Impressions. It's about do-overs. It's about U-turns. It's about starting over. That's the story of the second chapter of Jonah. And we're going to look at uh, this beautiful prayer, this almost a psalm that Jonah prays in the midst of this whale, this fish, whatever it is, whatever you need it to be. <laughs> or it could be like that animated cartoon, something of that sort. Whatever it is, he makes and he says this prayer and it's as beautiful and it really is one of the, the most uh, challenging prayers that I could ever pray myself. And so tonight we begin. Well, uh, this, past, uh, this past July, we took our family back to Orlando. And some of you know, uh, last fall, we took a trip to Orlando. And our youngest daughter, Lily, got sick. And we ended up spending a few days in the hospital with her. And it was just not the, uh, the way we expected a vacation to go. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, not the ultimate Disney vacation that we had subscribed to, that we had seen in all of the YouTube videos that we had watched for a year or more over and over again. And so uh, we managed somehow through, uh, through some gifts of some friends and just uh, God opening some windows and doors that we were able to go back to Orlando, and so we did. And so we were ready for this great Disney experience, and boy, was it great. It was great, except for about 15 minutes, and I really mean that, 15 minutes. It was great. I'm talking the way down was great, the way back was great. It was this great place in Brunswick, Georgia called the Georgia Pig. If you're a barbecue fan, I recommend you stop there. Some of you know. Anybody heard of the Georgia Pig? A couple of you, just right here, one. I'm telling you, you should Google it, but not right now. We'll turn off the internet. So uh, here we are, we're, we're having this great experience, and we go to this place that in the fall we went to at Disney, it was called Disney's Philhar Magic, and it's, uh, it's like a show that with 3D glasses you put them on, and all these things happen, and of course they come out at you, and it's really one of, just typical 3D animation kind of stuff. Well, in the fall, Zoe loved it. Zoe had just turned three then, and she loved it. It was a little loud for her, but she still loved it. And, uh, but this time, she was like, I know what happens at the end of this thing. Donald flies out of the screen, and he ends up in the back wall, and that scared her. And she was like, I don't want anything to do with it. And I said, Zoe, it's pretend. That's what we said a lot of at Disney. Everything is pretend. It's okay. It's all make-believe, of course, in her mind as a three-year-old. Very, very real. So I said, come on, it'll be fine. Being the good dad that I was, wanting her to have the experience that she needed to have at Disney because we've driven all this way and it's been so great so far and we're going to get all that we can possibly squeeze out of this experience. So we're ready. Disney fill our magic and we go in line and she's saying, Dad, I, don't, I frankly don't want to do this. Uh, I, I've, I've thought through the options and I prefer to, uh, to withhold my participation at this time. Which somehow, if you know Zoe, kind of something was like, ah, like lots of emotion and tears and everything. But we thought surely once she gets there, she's going to love it. So we get in, and we didn't realize that the way they funnel you through Disney, you know, you end up just kind of somehow you don't know in these shows where you're going to sit. But we are right in the middle, like right in the middle of this show. And some of you parents are feeling where this story is going. And, uh, and so we, the music starts and Zoe starts. She's like, I don't want anything to do with this. 
I, don't, I want out of this show right now. And I said, Zoe, there is nowhere to go. It's, it's going to be great. I told you you're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. And she is just getting louder and louder to where everyone around is looking at us. And we're smiling, of course. <laughs> stop, kid. You better stop. And just smiling. <laughs> Let's pray for a moment if we could. And so she ends up crawling to the, like, to the, to the underneath the seat, just hiding. And I, like, at one point, I'm like, I, don't, I look at Perrin, I'm like, I can't even take her out if I want to because it's 100 rows that way, 100 people that way. So the best I can do is just hold her ears as tight as I possibly can and say, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. So the whole time, that's all anybody heard around me. Disney's Magic. it's going to be okay. That's, that was their experience. So I'm holding her ears, holding her ears, and she screamed and she screamed, and then finally it was over. And like I'm sweating, I've got a headache, I'm like, I am just like, my arms, like the muscles were sore from pressing her ears, and I'm just nervous, I don't know what's going to happen next, is this going to ruin the rest of the day? And finally we get outside and she says, Dad, that was awesome, let's do it again. <laughs> what? That doesn't even make any sense. And I said, all right, let's go. And she said, no, no, I'm just, I don't want to go. I just, I think she just wanted to get a reaction out of me. I don't know. And she won in that moment. But that's the story of Zoe. That's the story of a moment in a vacation. But it's also the story of Jonah. It's the story of this individual who somehow found himself in a spot that he couldn't do anything about. He couldn't change it if he wanted to. He was at the mercy of this whale and ultimately of this God that was trying so desperately to get his attention. And so while he may, like Zoe, was somewhat forced into this experience by her loving parents, uh, somehow, somehow Jonah found himself in the midst of this whale running from God, and yet God was still somehow trying to protect and cover his ears and say, it's going to be okay if you just trust me. If you just get what it is that I'm trying to teach you, things are going to change. It's not going to be easy. Things are going to change. And so we find ourselves in this moment tonight in the belly of a fish or a whale. We're in these moments and in little pockets all throughout our lives, at different seasons throughout our lives. We're in the belly of a whale right now. Maybe some of us intentionally, we know why we're in this whale. We're, we know exactly what put us in this spot that is just uncomfortable and awkward and it seems like it's going to last forever. And some of us are here and we have no idea why. And so, but tonight, regardless of where we are, regardless of the whale situation, regardless of what's going on in our lives, we're all going to have to ask and answer a couple of questions. The first question that everyone in the midst of a whale is asking is what? How did I get here? That may be easier for some of you to answer. The other one, though, the, probably the more pressing question, the one that I think in the back of Jonah's mind was, how do I get out of here? How do I get out of this place? And I don't know that you're going to find that exact answer tonight, but you're going to have some tools to know how to find the answer to that question because that's really where all of us are living tonight. Let me give you a definition of what I believe it means to live inside the belly of a fish. I wonder what belly, fish belly season you're in right now. Inside the belly of a fish, it's your humility cocoon. It's your patient's crockpot. It's an uncomfortable, smelly, 24-hour reminder of your temporary residence. And you can thank God for your current zip code. Ouch. I don't like that thought. 
I don't like to think that, I don't like the thought that maybe perhaps the awkward, uncomfortable situation that I may be in right now, somehow God has something to do with one way or another. And I guess when I say that, I have to be careful because every scenario in this room is different. And sometimes tragedy happens and it doesn't make any sense. And so for me to say that God was the author of the cause of that, I can't say that. But I know somehow God is in the midst of this experience. But for most of us that are living in a season where things just don't seem to be working, I wonder what God is trying to tell you in the midst of this belly of a fish. I know this, that it's temporary. I know it won't last forever. And so that's an encouragement to begin with. And so we're going to look at Jonah chapter 2. Beautiful prayer, beautiful story. Uh, if you haven't read it yet on your own, I, just, I challenge you just to, whether you've, you've got an actual Bible or you've got a Bible on your phone or on your iPad or computer, whatever, read this story, read this particular passage because it is really, really amazing. I'm going to read it from beginning to end here just so you can get the big picture of what it was that Jonah was trying to say. Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. So you have this sense that Jonah knew exactly where he was. He thought, this is the end. This is where, uh, I guess, you know what, God, somehow, even though you're great and you have saved me in this moment, although, did he know he was being saved? He had this sense that there was something bigger happening. There was this sense of humility. A sense of something that, you know what, there's something larger going on than anything that I can control. He says this, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Does, does that sound a little funny to you? Do I need to remind you where Jonah is living right now? In the midst of this fish that he doesn't even know what's going on, but somehow God has saved him? Amazing story. He goes on to say, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And then he says this, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. There was a, like a memory verse she wanted to memorize this week. Those who cling to worthless idols. Those who cling to worthless idols. I'm going to memorize it. Forfeit the grace. We're going to talk about that word grace. This word, this Hebrew word has said, which is so much bigger than grace, but they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I wonder what that means to you tonight. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. I need an etch-a-sketch moment, God. I am Jonah. I am here. I need something. I'm ready to start over. He's almost, you can almost hear in his voice that he's saying, can you give me a second chance? 
I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And what happens in verse 10? And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry land. Don't get to hear the word vomit in church. Now you've heard it twice. <laughs> you don't hear it that often. He commanded this fish. God heard something. Somehow a part of all of this, this belly of a fish moment, meant something to Jonah. What was it that happened? What was it that somehow God was trying to get a hold of him? Was it just about running from, from the calling of God? Or was it just about avoiding this Nineveh moment? I think there was something so much bigger than even his story. In fact, I believe that his second chance has as much to do with our second chances today as it did with his own. So I'm going to give you a few thoughts tonight. Some things that I know about life in the belly of a fish. Some things that I believe that kind of put some context, uh, maybe some, uh, some flesh around this, this skeleton here of what we're trying to, trying, to, uh, trying to address here tonight. The first thought is this. That there is absolutely nothing pleasant, easy, or comfortable about life inside the belly of a fish. But it could always be worse. Thanks, Adam. I came to church tonight, got a lot of encouragement. It could always be worse. You're telling me that, that I'm in this thing right now. Well, it could always be worse. You sound like my grandfather right now. Somehow I remember that. Well, I used to walk uphill both ways to school in the snow, even in the summer. I went, yes, I went to school in the summer. In fact, I only went to school in the summer, and it was summer year-round, and it snowed all year-round. I don't know, maybe it's just my grandfather. Well, there's these stories about, you know, this thought. I guess what Jonah was trying to, the story of Jonah is trying to say is that there's something bigger going on right here. And so often I believe, and I get stuck into this rut where I think the situation or the circumstance that my life is in right now is the end. This is the way it's going to be forever. Have you ever felt that way? That this is it? You know, some of you right now who are, are single and you're trying to find, uh, you know, a, a, a husband or a wife and you've been maybe single for a while and you're thinking, is this it? I don't know. You're thinking to yourself, some of you are like, I've been unemployed for a while. Is this it? Is this the end of my story? I don't know. And we have a tendency to think that this is it. This is the end of, I guess this is it. I guess it just couldn't possibly get any worse. And while we really would never say that out loud... Because we know there are stories, like some of those that we shared and prayed about tonight. We know there are stories that are far worse, but in our minds, we think this is as bad as it gets. And one really simple example that comes to mind are young people who, um, we talk about this a lot at midweek, which is tomorrow night, by the way. In case you all want to get in this routine of coming out to church in the evening, come on out at 7.30 tomorrow night. So I talk to a lot of young people, and often they're in the throes of this career identity crisis... Some of you are like, well, I'm in the midst of a career identity crisis right now, and I am well beyond young adulthood. Well, it, regardless, there is a great book that I've been reading lately. It's called Quitter. It's written by a guy named John Acuff, and the title of the, the kind of the tag of the book is Closing the Gap Between Your Day Job and Your Dream Job, which is, uh, I think, a pretty fantastic title. He's a young fellow. What's interesting, as he writes, he talks kind of like this, this old sage, kind of like the, the grandparent or that mentor that we all uh, wanted to have or do have that just says solid, good advice. But one of the things that he, that, that he talks about specifically is about this idea of finding that dream job, that perfect career. Those, you know, the, that career that while we're sitting in our job right now and we're thinking, oh, this is just so horrible, it couldn't get possibly any worse. 
Acuff has some thoughts. And he talks about how when he was in the midst of that same identity crisis, he used to dream about his boss. His name was Donnie. That's the name of his boss. And Donnie would, would do all these horrible things. And, and Acuff would fantasize about, the, you know, somehow this guy getting transferred. And the president of the company coming to Acuff and saying, you're now the best person. We're going to make you CEO of the company at 23 years old. And everything is going to be different. The, the kingdom is yours for the taking kind of thing. And Acuff writes these words of wisdom to all of us today who think that life maybe couldn't get any worse. He says, in this land of no Donnies, we imagine waves of freedom and awesomeness washing over us. We assume that everything we ever wanted will be available. Uh, not all at once, uh, perhaps, not, not that we're that naive, but at least we won't have to check with someone before we do something. <laughs> At least we'll be in charge of all the decisions. We'll be the boss, not someone else. But many of you know this. And so this is just a reminder. He says this, the unfortunate truth is the land of no Donnies is just what? A fantasy land. It's where Disney's Philhar magic exists. The second you quit your bad boss, you get dozens of new bosses. And some are more demanding than the Donnie you just left. And he says, well, who are some of those new Donnies that, that, uh, that are a part of you, Incorporated? Your electric bill, your water bill, Chase Mortgage, Pampers 120 Packs, Verizon Wireless, Trader Joe's, Johnny's Auto Repair, Comcast Cable, and so on and so on. And so there is this sense that life couldn't get any worse. And even though we might not say that out loud, the story of Jonah is a reminder that maybe this season is for a reason. Maybe somehow God is trying to get your attention just to say, you know what? Use this to reflect. Use this to be grateful. Use this as an opportunity to serve. Use this as an opportunity to be influential around the people that you are with. And then eventually, you do this long enough, something is going to happen. Just, it's just the way it works. Something will eventually happen because this belly of a whale is temporary. It's temporary, and we see that in the story of Jonah. Here's a second thought. The belly of a fish may be exactly where you need to be. We talked about this a little bit last week. Maybe the belly of a fish is exactly where you need to be. In this beautiful drama that we saw between Jonah and the whale, and Jonah says to the whale that we saw last week, hey, I, it's, hard to do, it's hard to run when you're inside the belly of the whale. And what did the whale say? Maybe that was the point. So what are you running from? What is it that God is trying to get your attention? Maybe it's exactly where you need to be. And often I think sometimes we're so worried about getting out of this belly of a fish. We're worried about getting beyond it. That maybe we need to pause and consider why we're in the fish or how we got here. How did we get in this circumstance? Are you the one in relationships where friends are always saying, where you're always saying, oh, it was his fault. Oh, it was her fault. She was too passive-aggressive. We become psychologists and Dr. Phil in these moments, right? He was transferring and counter-transferring. He was projecting on me and no one could get my... He just couldn't give me the love that I needed or she wouldn't, she wouldn't you know, listen to me or she wouldn't pay attention to me. And it's always a string of relationships that go bink, 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 bink. And some of your friends are saying, Hello, you're in the belly of this whale. Pay attention. You put yourself in here. How did you get here? It's because of you. And maybe some of you, 
where it comes to employment, maybe where it comes to relationships, maybe it comes to just broken and bad decisions over and over and over again. You need to stop for a moment and say, why am I here? Invite some mentors into that process and, and you know, join a small group. Get, get involved in men's ministry or women's ministry. Somehow get involved in A2 and start listening and asking questions. Hey, I wonder why I'm sitting in this position right now. What is God trying to tell me? Because I think we see through the story of Jonah in this beautiful prayer that somehow that was his leaning. He was saying, hey, hurry God. Maybe I'm in this spot because of something <laughs> that I've done. He knew it. He knew something was going on. Here's a final thought. And this is really the hope, I believe. This is the hope of this story. It's where I live in this story. Is that's regardless of where you're living right now. Regardless of whether you're in this belly of a whale and it happened to you. Or whether you know exactly why you're in this fish story right now. It was never intended. The belly of a fish was never intended to be a permanent residence. There was always an exit strategy prepared for you. There was always a plan for your exit. It was always in the works. It always is in the works. God always has a plan for somehow his redemptive power to work through your life so that you wouldn't be stuck where you are right now because that's the story of the gospel. When I was, um, when I was about 10 years old, uh, maybe a little bit older, uh, 11 or 12, I had a good friend, one of my best friends, whose, uh, whose brother was very quickly uh, diagnosed with cancer and his health just deteriorated rapidly. And I remember going over to uh, my friend's house uh, and watching his brother, who was just a year or so younger than me, deteriorate and deteriorate, watched him lose his hair, watched him go through chemo and radiation, and learning vocab vocabulary that I'd never known about cancer and, and being very scared and wanting so desperately for this God that I love to just somehow miraculously intervene for my friend's brother because he was a good little boy and he just wanted to play Transformers and watch wrestling and play baseball like the rest of us. Why couldn't he do that? Well, I remember uh, that there were some people of a local church that wanted to, uh, to come and pray and the family was just at a point of devastation and, and uh, my friend's brother was close to the end. And so they called upon some folks from this church and, and they said, hey, will you come over and pray with, uh, with us right now? Pray for healing. We want God to do something miraculous and take this cancer away. We are desperate. We, whatever it takes. And I remember um, that night just getting a call saying that, well, the, the family decided that they didn't want this folks from this local church to come and pray for, uh, for Matt. Just didn't, Matt was the, the brother that was sick. Didn't want him to pray for him at that night. Matt wasn't doing well that night, so we'll just come in the morning. Well, that night, uh, Matt passed away. And I remember some of these folks from the church saying, well, if only the parents had the faith to believe that their son would have been healed, then Matt would still be here. What do you think that did to an 11-year-old boy? I got so mad at God. And I said, what about my faith? Because I believe in you, God. What about you? What about me? What about my, my friend Brad? What about all of these, these people out here? So somehow if this even makes sense, you're going to hold my friend's brother accountable for someone else's faith. It doesn't even make sense. And still I have questions. One day when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, explain this one to me. 
I don't have an answer for that one, but here's what I know. I know somehow, miraculously and mysteriously, that God is always trying and is desperately trying to get our attention, but he has always provided us an exit strategy, a way out. And sometimes when we pray, God responds just like that. That's part of his plan. And I don't know why. It doesn't make sense to me, but that's just what he does. And he tells us to do that. And so we pray. And sometimes when we pray, it doesn't happen immediately. It takes time. Somehow God works through doctors and where there's healing or there's just tragedy. Sometimes God just takes time and ultimately there is an exit strategy that we see at the end and we celebrate. But I know that there is a third strategy that is really a beautiful strategy and it is one to celebrate. And that's one where he says, you know what, you're going to spend eternity with me. That's not the one that I always want to choose. And I don't know where you are in this story or where Jonah is concerned tonight or what it is that you're praying for, but I want to promise you this, that regardless of where you are, that God has an exit strategy planned for you. And one of the most dangerous prayers that anyone can ever pray is this, God, will your will be done in this circumstance? God, I pray that you as God will do as, as you see fit. Lord, would you heal? You tell us to ask for healing, but ultimately, God, may your will be done. We see that in the story of Jesus as he tells us how to pray. And so I know this. God has provided an exit strategy, regardless of where you're living, for all of us in this belly of a whale. God always, always, always delivers. But the key to this entire passage is here. It's in verse 8. The key to all of this, because all of us are asking, okay, enough of this, I'm in this whale. I, I really would like to know where's the hope. You promised me hope, Adam. You said there's going to be some questions answered. So how do I get out? What are my, what's my process? And this is where it begins. In verse 8, he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Who one chapter ago was clinging to a worthless idol? Not Jonah. But think about the people he was in the boat with, if you remember the story. Everyone was praying, pray to your gods that somehow that they would save us. And so God, these people on this boat were praying to the God of the rain and, and to the God of the, to the desert and the God of, of the fish and all of these different gods. And Jonah was the one who knew the God that had created everything. And they were clinging to worthless idols that were powerless. Powerless. And so right now in the midst of your belly of the whale moment, what idols are you clinging to that are worthless? Your intellect. That's a big one for me. My pride. My education. My own ability to earn a living. My ability to communicate. My ability to speak and get people's attention and to motivate and to lead. Maybe it's your wealth. Maybe it's your story. I don't know what it is. But you know what? If it's, if it's not this God clinging to the God of the universe, it's a worthless idol. It's limited. It's temporary. And it will eventually crumble and you'll find yourself at the bottom of the sea, which is where Jonah found himself. He says this, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. But going back to verse 8, where it says, forfeit the grace. There is this beautiful word 
in the Hebrew, which is hesed. Hesed. It's this great word, and, and we don't have a word for it in the English language. We have a word. Sometimes it's translated grace, sometimes love, sometimes lots of different things. But really what it was understood to the Hebrew people was that everything that God is, is hesed. If God is love, if God is grace, if God mercy, if God is forgiveness, if God is reconciliation, if God is hope, if God is an exit strategy for me in the midst of my belly of the whale, he is hesed. And so when Jonah said this, when he said, forfeit the grace that could be theirs, it was saying as if God wasn't enough. They forfeit the God who is more than enough by clinging to the idols that are never enough. That's the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah begins with Hesed, this God who is so big, but it ends with this. Two words. But I will sing, I, I will with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. This word sacrifice is either, this word here in Hebrew is either trans, translated as sacrifice or surrender. Two words that we're not big fans of. Because why? Sacrifice is going to hurt. It's going to cause some pain. To surrender means I've got to give something up. And Jonah understood that. God, I am bankrupt emotionally and spiritually in the belly of this whale. And you've got to save me right now. There is nothing I can do on my own to get me out of this situation. And so I surrender my life and I sacrifice whatever it is that you want me to do. I do this for you in this moment. And that's the secret. Wherever you are, in your whale, belly of the whale, belly of the fish moment, it comes down to two words, sacrifice and surrender. What is it that you tonight even need to be mentally thinking? I've got to let go of this. I have to let go of my own identity. I have to let go of what I thought was holding me back from this relationship with God, even being in this place tonight. What is it that needs to be let go of? So that you can say yes to this God who has already provided your exit strategy. He is waiting to put you on this beach and give you a mission right now. I got an email this week. When we're going to close, I'm going to tell you this story. I got an email this week from Pastor Latif. Some of you have heard Michael talk about Latif. He is our, uh, the pastor at Spring Branch Islamabad, Pakistan. And I'm not sure if we have pictures of him here, but, but this is a picture of, of Latif serving food most recently to people in his community. Uh, I think he's saying, wait a second, I'm pretty sure about that, I'm not sure. He's got his hand up there. I'll have to call him and ask him. But this is a picture of what, uh, of what their church looks like. Like, I think we've got that picture here. Spring Branch Church Ministries, Islamabad, Pakistan. Isn't that neat to see that? You know, so many neat things happening all over this world with what you are doing here when you make things happen, when you give. This is the kind of stuff we're able to do. So I sent an email out to all of you saying, hey, come to church on Tuesday night, please. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to continue this series. Well, uh, Latif got that same email, and he was certain that I sent it just to him. <laughs> and so he responded, and he said, well, Adam, I'm excited about this story. I won't be able to be there. He's very serious in his emails. I will not be able to attend. However, I will celebrate the story of Jonah with you. And I, and, and I thought to myself, are you kidding me? 
This, I know this guy's story, and so I, t I, t I just was blown away, like so encouraged. And I sent him an email back, and I said, well, Latif, thanks for, thanks, We're, we are going to celebrate with you. We just went through this, this hurricane, and, you know, most of us, uh, you know, were able to, uh, to manage through this storm without too much damage, and so the church is okay, a little water damage, and so we'll be praying for you. And his response continued to amaze me, because he said, the devastation has been horrible in broken English, all up and down the east coast of the United States. I will continue to pray for you and for your congregation that they will find hope and healing through this story. This man lives in Pakistan with his family where they have almost nothing. Where his family lives with several other families and he is a pastor amongst many other things. This is what Latif does. His story is amazing, yet he is finding a way to encourage us in the midst of our whale moment. You see, the story of Jonah is all about perspective. And in that moment, this storm that we just experienced through that email reminded me just how much God has given us and how much he's given me. And now what do I have a responsibility to do with this? My second chance moment... I don't know what it's going to be, but I know that so often when God gives us a second chance, it's not for our own sake, but it's to save the life of someone else. And so I wonder through this story, through this storm, through this experience, through this amazing prayer, through the story of Jonah, how is it that God wants to use your second chance story? Through all that you're experiencing, how is it that he wants to use you and your story to change or maybe save the life of someone else? Because it's all about perspective. What could be worse? What could be better? There's so much in this story, so much in this moment. In this little simple thing here, there is no more practical of an ex example of every children's sermon that was ever given at every traditional church that I ever grew up in. A pastor held one of these and said, God wants to forgive you. And I was like, I don't know how to make it work. So it doesn't make sense to me. This is your life. It's not just that God is trying to shake you and get your attention. It's that this represents do-overs over and over and over again. But it's not for your sake alone. It's because God wants to use your etch-a-sketch moment, the very principle of this etch-a-sketch, to pretend, potentially save the life of someone that you don't even know yet through your story. I wonder what that's going to look like as this story continues to play out as we move into chapter 3 and 4 on Sunday. This is the story of Jonah. Let's pray. Gracious God, with you there is always a second chance to make a first impression, a third and a fourth and a fifth chance God, because somehow this simple object lesson of an etch-a-sketch etch -sketch just makes sense. We can create and we can make mistakes, God, but there's always a do-over that's guaranteed. And we get how an etch-a-sketch works. We just shake it and things start over. But God, when it comes to life, we're often so confused and we're left trying to read this owner's manual of, of, of the scriptures, trying to figure out how do we start over, but you tell us that start over clearly, that U-turns, that new beginnings start with surrender. 
They start with sacrifice. And so, Lord, where our lives have been broken and confused and we are in the midst of the belly of a whale right now, would you humble us? Would you challenge us? Would you stretch us? And, Lord, would our stories not be the end of the story, but would they be used to change the life of someone else? That's the miracle of your creation, the miracle of your story through Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Thank you.